0: It's time to dive into the latest news and updates from the Vegas Golden Knights. This is Nighttime at Noon on Fox Sports
1: Las Vegas. And welcome to Nighttime at Noon. He's Mike McKenna. I'm Brian McCormick. We have Angelo Giordano manning some of the controls. Of course, we have George Lopez on the other side of the glass as we talk through this uh, Game 2 for the Vegas Golden Knights and the Colorado Avalanche. Lots to get to as, of course, we prepare for Game 3 in this series returning to the fortress some NHL news as well uh, Mike for, for the Vegas Golden Knights not the result that they wanted in game two of course but they did a lot right especially in periods two and three not the result they wanted but I imagine something they can carry with them to game three
2: yeah they dominated the second and third periods for the most part the only time the team really got into trouble was when they got into penalties And you can't do that against Colorado Avalanche. Now, the first period was a little bit flat. thought Colorado was really strong. But again, when you're in the box four times, that doesn't exactly lead to momentum. And I I thought that the Golden Knights, though, really were able to, to generate a lot of Things that they wanted to do, right? They, they had speed through the neutral zone. They got shots on goal. They outshot and outchanced the Avalanche by a decent amount last night. 41 25, I believe, were the shots offhand. And uh, Philip Grubauer was excellent for the Avalanche. He made a big difference for the team, but. Um, you know, I think you look at what you can do better, obviously you need to score, but you got to stay out of the box. You can't give that team momentum, and you can't give them two power play goals.
1: You, Mike, I thought about you during the game last night, not just because I knew we were doing this show together today, but because uh, heavy metal was in at Ball Arena in <laughs> game two. I, I, I counted four posts that I can off the top of my head recall, but exactly. maybe may more than that. Yep. Uh, and, and that can't be an excuse of, oh, if those posts went in because – is and nuts were candies and nuts and yada, yada, yada. But having said that,
2: <laughs> the opportunities were there with a little bit more finish. I mean, think about Riley Smith hit the post three times single-handedly. Yeah. Five total, you know, and, and he yeah. even scored in the game as well. And There's certainly luck involved in this game at times, right? Now, you, yeah, The luck is the residue of the design, okay? I, I kind of stumbled my way through that. I have a good family <laughs> friend that, that's – I think he has it on his race car, actually. Luck is the residue of design, and I've always really liked that. But, but it, it's so true, right? Like if somebody's clogging the middle, if you put it off the post, is, is it because they were in the middle or because you were holding your stick too hard? What right. is it, you know? Right. Um, it did feel like, though, for the Golden Knights, had one of those gone, are things different? Right. And you always look back at those moments, all those posts, all those close plays that could have gone in their direction that just didn't. So there's certainly a lot to like about it. The D got active again last night. Martinez scores. Shea Theodore has two assists.
1: Zach Whitecloud has been very involved. Yeah.
2: You know, that had been flat out missing in playoffs. And. You know, Colorado on the other side, well, they, their D had five points last night, yeah. and they had seven in the first one. So it shows how important that is, but that was a step in the right direction for the Golden Knights.
1: Now, of course, uh, we're going to hopefully have some uh, some sound from head coach Pete DeBoer. He just did his media availability a short while ago, so hopefully in this program we'll be able to feed a little bit of that. But he did talk last night after the game, and one of the questions he was asked was about, we mentioned Riley Smith, how involved he was in everything last night, including yeah. the slashing call in overtime that Pete DeBoer did not agree with. I think a lot of us could say that for all the calls we see let go in postseason play, that's one that probably could have been let go. But for for a night when they were so good on the kill, as you mentioned, eventually it's going to come back to get you.
2: Yeah, and you know, listen, I, I'm... I have such a soft spot for referees. Yeah. I've said, I said this last night in pre-show and Dave Gosher and I were doing the, doing that on our streaming channels for VGK. And Pete,
1: Pete DeBoer had a soft side for them too. Cause he really didn't blame them. He said, I kind of, I feel bad for them as well. for yeah, having to be Yeah. Well, position.
2: it was also, you know, like, Hey, they've, they've been fooled. Right. Yeah, and, and there was diplomatic. <laughs> yeah. And, and listen, the golden Knights had calls go their direction that way earlier in the game. Nemeth sits for a slash. That was pretty similar. May not have knocked a stick out of the hand. Uh, there were three or four slashing calls in the game both directions. And the way I look at it was that the referees maintained their standard through the game, okay? And, And everybody wants the whistles to go away in overtime, but I think that maybe that's a directive to say, hey, like, Let's try to stay consistent here. And when you knock somebody's stick out of their hands, that's the the reaction from referees. You break a stick, you knock it out, and you look at it from their perspective. Is somebody going to drop their stick in the defensive zone when the puck's going out to the top? And Miko Rantanen said in his post game availability, "I'm a pretty strong guy. I don't know who on earth would do that."
1: Yeah, I, and so you know,
2: I don't I don't think I don't think he
1: drops his stick on purpose. It's a stick battle off a of faceoff. We it see it is. all the time. Uh, and Mark Stone said that in his post game avail.
2: And Stone said, "I do not drop my stick because I'm strong enough." <laughs> right? <laughs> so you got battling things and, here. And,
1: so. and, to that I, I wonder and this is again giving a referee the benefit of the doubt and I think it might tie into more conversations we have later in this program about other things around the league but you know what always drives me a little bit crazy is the, the whistle goes away largely in the playoffs and I appreciate that honestly. I want to see mm-hmm. that that war of attrition. Sometimes more frustrating in some instances than others but I get it. And you'll have no penalties for you know depending on the, the marathon game we're in three hours but then right. you know, someone will get underneath a puck that goes on edge and sailed into the 10th row and that's the call that'll decide a playoff series, and in a similar instance, if you're a referee who I, they do have some discretion, but a stick knocked out of the hands, as you said, that's supposed to be a penalty, yeah. no matter what kind of grip a player has on that. It's pretty much how knock, it works. Like, I wonder, should, should there be a little bit more leeway of understanding? And perhaps there is, but that's one that doesn't sit well with me. Where, like, to me, the refs in a tough spot right there.
2: I think that I mean, in the refs, that's like, eyes they make that call. That's what they've been trained to do, and uh, and I know that no one's going to like that period as a Vegas Golden Knight fan. But the Golden Knights also had a chance sixteen thirty nine into the third period on a power play that they didn't score and win the game. Okay, you don't go to overtime if you score in that potentially. Yeah. And these are the moments where you have to capitalize right? And it's a full two-minute penalty. You've got every chance, and it doesn't happen, right? So it's always, to me, kind of like the what-ifs bother me at times because it's like, man, you could you could have avoided overtime, right, yeah. if you potentially did this. And if you didn't take four penalties in the first, maybe you're not losing two to one at the end of the
0: first.
1: And, and in, the playoff, in the playoffs, more so in the regular season, I think we're all much more attuned to afterwards being like, that was the moment. It that is. was the shot right there. Now, Miko Ranton scores in overtime. Marc-Andre Fleury took so, took the blame for that in his interview, which I thought was unfair to him because I thought that was the first time all night that anyone on the Avalanche, to the credit of the Golden Knights, had a chance to really pick his head up and pick his spot. I thought for, for much of the night, again, at all the penalty kills, I thought they did a tremendous job taking space away from Nathan McKinnon on the power play. I, I thought it was a much more contracted Vegas defensive zone for much of the night, except for that one opportunity.
2: They did a great job in not allowing the seam pass. Mm. There were several instances that they did earlier in the game. Which set up the Rantanen goal. Correct. As the seam pass. And, and you know, on once or twice previously, Rantanen had a one-timer in that instance, And Fleury gets over, he gets square, he makes a save, he eats it. In this moment, Rantanen had the time to catch and release. Mm. And Fleury gets his feet set, he gets square, he does everything you're supposed to do as a goaltender, and he goes to make a pure read on the shot. That's how he plays. His hands are active. He trusts his hands. Well, Rantanen actually missed the shot. Okay, now hear me out on this, right? Rantanen's trying to put this puck top corner. Mm -hmm. And Marc-Andre Fleury's reading top corner, high glove, and you're thinking full windmill here. Right, he's yeah. getting his glove on. And he trusts his hands. Well, Rantanen actually misses his mark by about a foot, and that's the reason why it goes off Mark Andre's flurry. All his momentum is going into this glove save on a pure read to glove it. And if Rantanen hits his marks, he gloves that. Yeah. And instead, the then inherently for a goaltender, when you make that upward movement, your shoulder comes back just a little bit, and you abandon three, three inches of space. That's where the puck hits his shoulder and goes in. And that's why Marc Andre's mad with himself is because he knows that, man, I made a read. I was confident right. in it, and it still went in, and he wasn't able to adjust in time and get his shoulder forward on it. And it's a pill, by the way. That's a shot from the dot. Okay, like I think people, <laughs> How much
1: reaction time is there? There isn't.
2: You People yeah. will never understand unless you stand in the crease. It looks so far away from up top, like if you're sitting in the stance. But if you're in the crease and there's somebody at the dot, it's instantaneous. Yeah. Anything underneath the top of the circle is an educated guess on your safe. Not selection. to mention
1: the goal. Tag. Your, your heels aren't on the goal line either. That takes even more of that space Correct. away. A question I had that I thought you'd be perfect to ask this for was: it was even if Franton misses his shot, maybe it's to his well, as you mentioned, it's to his benefit. But it's tighter to the ear. And I want mm-hmm. a, anyone in our audience right now who's not driving a car try to bring your <laughs> your glove hand to your ear as quickly as you can and realize how hard it is to get to that space. That's that's a really mechanically hard spot for a goaltender to get to, whether it's intentional or not.
2: Right. And that's where, you know, ideally in that scenario, if let's say Rantanen's at the top of the circle and not the dot, there's enough time in that instance for Marc Andre to be able to adjust, get his shoulder square and keep that puck in front of him and not even have to use his hand. Mm-hmm. Because, again, when you're moving from where your glove is next to your body I mean, this is how many degrees of motion going from a 180 to a 270. Gosh, mathematics in ninth grade. This is coming (laughs) back to me. But you're moving a greater distance as opposed to just straight upward a foot or two, right? right? You have to rotate. And that's where you do use your shoulders more often. But again, because it was so close, that's where he had to make the decision of, am I going to block or am I going to react? And Marc-Andre's strength is reaction. Mm. He's one of the greatest goalies to ever play in the NHL with that. And totally understand his reasoning for that. And it's just, it, you know, it's unfortunate that it happened that quickly. That game wasn't going to get out of the first overtime, it felt like. Yeah. You know, as good as... And it was a great hockey game. So good. It was a great game to watch. And
1: I'll tell you, again, juxtaposing from, from game one, I thought, first of all, Marc-Andre Fleury was sensational in the first period. It, it sounds silly to think in a period where you give up two goals that you weathered it, but, but they did. They weathered that first period. Mm-hmm. And then the second period and, and beyond was such a transformation. The first period felt a little bit like a continuation of of game one. I mean, what do you think the the flick of the Switch was to to get them... Going. Pete DeBoer said, well, part of it was we didn't have a Game 7 48 hours before, and that could certainly be part of it. Well,
2: listen, we're fooling ourselves if we think that the Golden Knights weren't up against a tall task in Game 1. Yeah. With all the travel that they had done between two different time zones, you're going Central to Pacific between Minnesota and here, and you win a big emotional Game 7 in your home building, and then the next day you get on the bird and you go to Colorado. A mile, okay. a mile in the sky. Yeah, well, you know what, though? We're halfway a mile up here in Vegas, right? Yeah. We're at 2,600 feet or whatever. We're halfway there. So it's not as big of a difference, okay? Mm-hmm. But the, it is, right? Like, teams I played on when we go to Colorado, it was a big difference if you're coming from sea level. Yeah. Now, in this instance, not nearly as much, again, because of the training, but it's a tough scenario, and you've, you've just played these games. Colorado's rested. And to me, the bigger thing is that despite the fact that I know the coaching staff is completely 100% ready and dialed and ready for the Colorado series, the players hadn't had the same amount of time to internalize what has been told to them for systems and what to expect from Colorado, even though they played them eight times in the regular season. You do homework before playoff series that prepare you. And I think going into game two especially, they had that extra day to have a full practice. Mm -hmm. a full long practice and then have a morning skate and do your video work and be ready for that game and the first period they're in the box four times that's simple as that like when you kill kill that much time you can't build your momentum to me by the second period there's one penalty it was against colorado it was five on five that's when you saw Golden Knights hockey that's when they finally got to their identity for the first time in the series
1: and they were able to get their legs going again too which we talked yes. about so much in the Minnesota series last time we sat together in this room but in fact and
2: mm-hmm.
1: I think you know the Golden Knights transition game is working their speed game is working when you're hearing Alex Tuck's name all the time and there were a couple of instances where Alex Tuck broke in and he almost he pulled a McKinnon yep. he got the puck at the red line there's a 10 foot gap but the the legs were working and there was no way you were going to be able to turn that corner and you know, if, if that's what's happening in the neutral zone, then the Golden Knights are doing the right thing.
2: Yeah, I mean, Tuck's the fastest Clydesdale I've ever seen, right? <laughs> and, and I mean that in the, most, in the greatest term of endearment, is just that big, powerful body and the way he protects the puck and just galloping down the wing, right? And when he winds it up in the defensive zone, when he takes that big swing and gets moving through the middle ice, he creates opportunities. And, um, you know, he did have a couple instances last night where he gets in, he gets clean, and, man, he just misses right short side it just misses and you could tell grubauer was was on top of it right he's done his homework he knows tuck likes that short side option and you know tuck gets the breakaway and just can't lift it over grubauer and i i I thought tuck was excellent i thought he was very effective um and and i thought to their credit i thought Secura filled in well on that line where yan marks out and and was able to to keep up and keep pace with tuck and keep it moving Um, there were a lot of things to like, man. The the top two lines for the Golden Knights were good. You know, Stone and Pacioretty generated chances as well, and Stevenson was in clean several times, and Grubauer was just up to it last night. I think that's really what the difference was. When you look at it, Grubauer's game and the amount of time on special teams.
1: Well, there's a lot more Game 2 to get to. We're going to get to it. We have a lot of Game 3 prep work to do as well. But, Golden Knights fans, the best way to show your spirit, no matter where you are in Nevada, is with the Vegas Golden Knights license plate. A VGK plate is a great way to night up your vehicle and show everyone on the road what team you root for. Go to dmvnv.com slash plates. That's dmvnv.com slash plates today to show your VGK pride. We're going to step aside. When we come back again, we will talk more game two. We'll get you set for game three. We've got HSK awards to touch on as well, and hopefully hear from Pete DeBoer all straight ahead on nighttime at noon. Brian McCormick, Mike McKenna here with you on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Brian McCormick, Mike McKenna here with you on nighttime at noon talking VGK Colorado Avalanche playoff series. The Avalanche have a two games to none lead, but now the series comes back to the fortress. And, uh, you know, they say, Mike, that a, uh, a playoff series has never really begun until the home team loses. And after the way VGK played in game two, they have to feel good about themselves and where their game's at right now. But earlier today, Pete DeBoer talked about just what the importance is of winning at home in game three.
0: Obviously, they've got a great home record. They've got a good road record, too, but uh, yeah, that's a tough place to win. I thought uh, we built on our game from game one to two, and you know, we've got to continue to build uh, here for game three. Um, for me, it's it's one game at a time. We've got to, we've got to show up and win a game uh, at home with our home crowd, which should be helpful, and uh, build on what we did in game two. Pete is not alone in this assessment. Mark Stone's in the same boat here. You know, he said afterwards,
2: you can't stress too much until you lose at home. Okay? And I, <laughs> and that's fair. I mean, you think about how good Colorado's been there, uh, that they're and one at home in the no, 21 games. That's insane. <laughs> it really is. But think about how good Vegas has been at home in the Fortress, right? And you think about playing in front of your fans. And just think about this from a player's perspective, that if they go home and take care of business, it's a 2-2 series. You know? Yeah. And you go back into Colorado with momentum, right? Two games on your side. And I think that's obviously you have to go one game at a time. You've got to get game three. I mean, listen, nothing is a must win until you're facing elimination. But you can get about as close as you possibly can, right? Game three is huge for the Golden Knights. They've got to come out and play strong. But they do look at it as that chance to, hey, we're going to even this series up. And they believe in themselves. You know, They felt like they played a game that, If they continue that upward trajectory, and if they can do it for 60 minutes, they're going to come out on top. And you heard it in Colorado postgame saying, we did not play our best. We had to rely on Philip Grubauer. Mm -hmm. Okay, That's the sign of a team that knows they didn't bring their best game, and it's left doubts in their head. And VGK has reinserted that thought process that, hey, we're for real. We can do this. You wait till we bury all our great A's and we don't hit the pipe five times, right? <laughs> you know, you
1: said something that just sparked a memory for me. I, I think it's relevant, so hopefully I'm not wrong. But uh, you said, "I'll
2: ta- be happy to tell you if." Please, you're
1: wrong. Please, please <laughs> let me know. Keep me on track here. You said, "Insert that doubt." Yep. Now, f- first of all, we're seeing a series right now. Mark Andre Fleury and Philip Grubauer are both Vezina finalists, mm-hmm. and they're proving it to us. So, you know, good, awesome to watch from a goaltending perspective. <laughs> Entertainment
2: wise, sure for us. like to see it. You know. Uh, different results, but I mean, great goaltending.
1: Now apples and oranges, but when I was in Idaho with the Steelheads in the ECHL, the uh, first round series in 20 oh was it 17? Not important, but uh, the Steelheads trailed the Allen Americans three nothing in the series. They came back and won that series in seven. And the message that head coach Neil Graham, who's now with the Texas Stars, mm-hmm. gave to his troops, he said, "Hey, all you gotta do is plant that tiny seed of doubt." You have a team that's up three nothing that knows they probably shouldn't be, and you need to start having them look at one another and say, you know what, did we are is is our three zero lead overinflated? Have we really played as well? Is it for and real? Then 3-1, yeah. And then it's three one, and then it's three two, and when you get to that point, it's anyone's series. Point being is you know you get to that point of, you know the Vegas Golden Knights played really well in game two, and. In the just like in, within a game, you need to create your own chances. Within a series, you need to create your own momentum. And that's an opportunity that
2: Vegas has in Game 3. Your, your analogy there is perfect. And it doesn't matter whether it's the ECHL, the AHL, the NHL, the KHL, the NCAA, Beer League. It doesn't matter. It's all the same. It's the same game. And planting that seed of doubt. Now, there is a little difference because Colorado finished first in the league and they believe in themselves. For okay, sure. Okay, for so sure. This is, yes. They, they know that they – It's got to be a big seed. <laughs> listen, they, they know they deserved Game 1 they don't know that they deserved game two. Mm-hmm. And I could tell from their post-game presser that they weren't sure that they really did, but they found a way. Anytime you hear found a way, you know the team's happy to win, but they know they have to be better. Yeah. Okay, and, and that's the chess match, right? Both, both these teams are going to go back and try to find ways to be better in the next game. But I love that about it. And I think that it's a great analogy to look at that Toronto Habs series. Yep. Yeah. Three to one lead for Toronto. of doubt. Here comes Montreal, game five, overtime win. Another one in six. And then we let them off the ropes. They did. Yep. And it just shows no matter how good your team is, we're all human beings. We all second guess ourselves. No matter how supremely confident you may be, you will second guess yourself. And that's why they're seven game series.
1: Now, there's certainly not going to be any lack of energy in Game 3 because it's going to be 100% capacity at the Fortress, which is going to be just a, uh, an unbelievable rockin' sight that I can't wait to, to see for myself. But Pete DeBoer did talk today about, okay, the series is coming back home. There's going to be a raucous crowd at T-Mobile Arena. Just to what extent does that home crowd get in
0: the head of a visiting opponent? Absolutely. Um, and and it's, it's usually those momentum swings uh, you know, from the opposing bench, uh, when, you know, as a visiting team, we would get scored on, you know, we talked about uh, the ability of, of the atmosphere in the building to, to really create momentum uh, uh, for the home team and, and, and that we had to be able to handle that. Uh, and a lot of times we, we didn't and couldn't. So, um, yeah, it's a huge advantage. Uh, especially in those momentum moments where, you know, hopefully we can get a goal and, and uh, get the crowd involved and, and build on it. 12,000 people in the fortress sounded incredibly loud
1: yeah.
2: for, game, for last, you know, game seven. And I mean, 18,000 is going to be like motorhead loud. You know what I mean? Like if Lemmy and the boys were still cranking the amps to 11 like spinal tap and and just 110 decibels. And and my best comparison for this always dates back to a game I played in the Boston Garden when I was with Tampa Bay. And I'll never forget it, that I allowed a goal. I can't remember how that one went in, but I certainly remember how the next one went in. Because the first (laughs) one goes in, and then the puck gets dumped around the boards. I go out to play the puck, and I can't hear anything other than the crowd. That's all I can hear. I can't hear my teammates. I can't hear my defensemen. Nothing. Everyone thinks you guys block it out. You don't necessarily. You just can't hear, man. It's like you got the big earmuffs on. You're mowing the lawn. And, like, <laughs> you know, the, the you look up, and all of a sudden the Amazon guy's there with a package. And you're just, ah, oh, my God, there's a guy here. And, like, he scares you. That's what it was like when I got the puck on my stick behind the net. And I chucked it around the glass because that was, like, my only option, I thought. Right? Because I couldn't hear anything. I'm like, safe play. I'm going to put it around the glass. Right to the D. Over to Char, a one-timer, back of the net, right? And I'm in the net, mind you. I got back in my <laughs> net, okay? So this wasn't <laughs> well, like a full-on, like, I wasn't swimming in the corner, you know what I mean? But, I, like, I got back to my net, but screen in front scores on me. It was a moment where the crowd made a huge difference. Yeah. Because it was just that I couldn't hear, is that in my mind it was, like, spiraling, like, what do I do? What do I do? That's what happens on the bench, when you can't hear, when you can't think, when you feel like the team and the building has this energy and vibe that you just simply cannot control. Players love to have control. When you're on the ice, it's your, it's your, it's your space, man. Yeah. Like you control your destiny out there. But when you get to the point that your brain isn't functioning because of the noise, you can't do it. And that's tough to contend with.
1: because I think fans think about that in a, in a football circumstance, like all right, well, the quarterback and the receivers can't hear each other, and false starts. Like there's the crowd having a direct impact. No, they, there's an emotional impact, and you know we hear about tales of the the '70s and the spectrum being in Philly being a harsh, uh, hostile environment.
2: That we, place was that was a tough place to play until 2010 when yeah, it was in the American League But I got to play it. The, the,
1: the, <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't necessarily maybe have that kind of fan interaction all the time anymore, but so a hostile environment is a thing and. I mean, for a night, a day, where we're going to have 100% capacity at T-Mobile. I don't know about you. When the pandemic first started, and we went through the uh, the, the frustrations of the past year, I thought, like, well, what's it going to be like when this is over? Is it going to be like, uh, you know, we're good and parades in every city like VE Day? Like, like, what's it gonna, what's the celebration going to look like? And of course, that's not what we have because it's a regional progression of of improvement. Sure. But if you look at tomorrow, you're going to have 100% capacity at a VGK playoff game. This is your. This is your festival of of, of return to normal. This is it. And and this is a time to party and to come with your work hats on if you're a VGK fan, and that's why I think tomorrow's
2: atmosphere is going to be unbelievable. And let's say this, too, that this isn't just about the game on the ice tomorrow. Like, it it, it is. Trust me. This is game three of playoffs, and the fans want to be part of that, and they will be a huge part of that. But this is bigger. Like, this is really looking at humankind in general and thinking, man, like. The
1: celebration that they get to be a part of it. We are. (laughs)
2: Like, in a social setting, the way we're meant to be as human beings, this is huge, and I think by osmosis, just the excitement of people being there is going to carry over. We already know what the crowd's like in the first place, but yeah. I, I, I just I think of skating out on the ice and seeing people in the city you play for going bananas for you, for for you for your team, right? Like, there's a sense of pride to that that is very difficult to explain if you haven't been on the ice right like you can kind of sense it but it gives you butterflies right and you just you'll find these faces in the crowd you'll see you'll see a five or six year old kid with the biggest smile ever on his face and you just think like man I want to win for that kid so bad so he has this lifetime memory that's real like players think of this stuff man and you know coming back into the building your your family's in the stands right like team wins game seven Jonathan Marshall so looks up at his wife and kids like and to me, it's like I channel what I went through and thought of how inspirational that was for me to see my daughter holding Leo, her little lion up in the air post game <laughs> and waving to me when we win like you have those added benefits yeah. and that's what makes it special.
1: It's going to be a party. It's going to be a celebration, but it's also, there's a job to be done, and there's going to be 18,000 people on duty. Yep. Well, fans, Rock Creek Cattle Company is a hidden gem located in the heart of Montana. This 28,000-acre cattle ranch has something for everyone. A world-class golf course, fly fishing, hunting, horseback riding, and more. Escape the bright lights and discover Big Sky Montana. Exclusive memberships and real estate opportunities are available now. Visit rockcreekcattlecompany.com. That's rockcreekcattlecompany.com for more information. We'll hop aside when When we come back, we'll run through some HSK end-of-year awards as the accolades keep rolling in for Logan Thompson. We'll also talk a little bit about the NHL storylines around the landscape. That's straight ahead on Nighttime at Noon. Brian McCormick, Mike McKenna here with you on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Live from City National Arena, this is Nighttime at Noon on Fox Sports Las Vegas. VGK fans, join other Golden Knights fans around the world with VGK Worldwide, the official global fan club of the Vegas Golden Knights. Become a premium member by visiting vgkworldwide.com. That's vgkworldwide.com. And purchase your kit today. Premium members receive access to exclusive merchandise, exciting contests, and specialized content. Don't miss this opportunity to be a part of painting the globe gold. I'm Brian McCormick. He's Mike McKenna. Hi. We have Angelo Giordano and George Lopez making us sound pretty as we get you set for Game 3. Now, since we're sitting in these chairs, we are the most, uh, I guess, qualified people to, to give you just a little bit of what's going on in the Henderson Silver Knights world. The Questionable, season, but we'll take it. The season has come to an end, <laughs> but the accolades are still rolling in, and Logan Thompson uh, coming up with a lot. He's already won three end-of-year awards, all-rookie team, Pacific All-Star team, uh, and goaltender of the year. Might as well start with him.
2: Andy backed up last evening for that's the Vegas Golden it. Knights so he's a busy man right? let's uh let's take this in stride I tell you what's amazing about this is that Logan Thompson is truly a diamond in the rough that's been discovered and been embraced and watched his game grow to what he did this season okay it's not very often that somebody truly comes from the ECHL gets a contract and gets rewarded plays well enough and goes into the role that he does okay it took me three years to get through that myself right like I had to grind my way out of the coast for two years to get to the American League and then progress on to the NHL and things. He goes and has a dominant college year. Canadian college year, mind mm-hmm. you, okay? That's not your general path to the NHL, right? Generally, that's where players go out of major, junior, junior, to take their scholarship package when they're Canadian, He's, and then they see what happens. He said himself when he went
1: to Brock University, he went thinking like, "Okay, didn't work out. Let's go to school." He had yep. he thought that was the end of the road for professional hockey. But
2: you know what? He played well enough that people took notice. Yeah, and so then he goes to the ECHL, and what does he do? Dominates. Okay, gets his opportunity in Henderson here. No guarantees whatsoever. It's a strange season. If we hadn't had Taxi Squad, maybe you've got Oscar Dansk, you've mm-hmm. got Patera, you've got Ferg. There's a lot of people in the mix. The bottom line is that he played well enough to take that net, played the games in playoffs, and I'm just so impressed with how he handled it. Yeah. Okay, he came in, he grabbed it. Uh, you could see throughout the season him making little tweaks that him and goalie coach Freddie Brathwaite had worked on uh, to make him even better as the season went along. And it's deserving, you know. It's a shortened season. So mind you that the save percentage, there's the note out there that I think it's the highest, (laughs) basically the highest save percentage ever. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Um it's a shortened season, right? It's half. Like, you'll see this over half of a season. Somebody will put up a 940, and you'll go, whoa! Like, I
1: it's, think it was, it was comparable. Brett Cron Brett, uh, for Texas in 2010 put up something some, in 22 games. So somewhat yeah, comparable. Yeah, somewhat yeah comparable.
2: before Cron inevitably got hurt, which is half the, I got a couple of opportunities because he got hurt. Yeah. That happened to him every time. <laughs> but – You know, for Jonathan Bernier was a great example. He was at about a 940 for half a season, the Mm -hmm. one year. He won the top goalie in the league, Jason LaBarbera. I mean, I had like a 936 one year until January before things got back to normal. They regressed to the mean, right? (laughs) Right. regardless of that it was a dominant stretch of hockey and he was a huge part of it early in the season he was facing 30 plus shots a night and handling it so well and his teammates always gave him all the credit in the world we've got lt back there he's taking care of things on the back end uh, and he gets rewarded for it a great first season for logan thompson in the american hockey league really couldn't have been any better
1: now logan thompson uh, was I'm sure in the running for another award the AHL announced today, which was Rookie of the Year. He did not win Rookie of the Year, Riley Damiani, who led all rookies in scoring. He got that award. Texas Stars. Uh, Last award up for grabs will be tomorrow, and that will be the MVP award. Uh, so perhaps Logan Thompson in the mix for that as mm-hmm. well. Uh, another Silver Knight who's gotten some nice accolades uh, after the season is Ryan Murphy, who was named to the Pacific Division All-Star team as well, and then yesterday, Defenseman of the Year, and in what was really kind of a comeback to North America and prove it season for Ryan Murphy, and boy, did he do that.
2: Wins the Eddie Shore Award, uh, which you know a lot of, lot of players in the league that in the NHL have won that award previously, and for Ryan Murphy coming back, having played in the KHL in Russia, it was. It was coming back, trust your instincts, play some offense, be willing to be free, freewheeling up and down the ice, do what you need to do. But Murphy played all scenarios for the team. He wasn't just purely an offensive defenseman who led the league into D de- scoring mm-hmm. Ryan Murphy played every scenario. He played the penalty kill. He ended up wearing the C at the end of the season. Like the, he was an integral part of the team. And sometimes you look to people who win an Eddie Shore award, who win a top defenseman in any league. You know, oh, just an offensive D-man. Yeah, That wasn't Ryan Murphy. He had a really well-rounded game this year. He had bite to it. Um, he set the tone emotionally for the team. Guys always talked about how much fun he was to be around in the locker room uh, and countless things that he did for the HSK. And again, to see him rewarded is awesome. Uh, and hopefully for him, you know, it is a resurgence in his career that he gets more NHL out- looks down the road, potentially.
1: And he did that this year on an AHL contract, which, mm-hmm. again, c- coming back uh, from the KHL, looking to, to reestablish himself in North America. I wonder, Mike, maybe that AHL contract, maybe that helps. You know, it just allows you to think, you know what, this is where I'm going to be. I don't, I'm don't, i not worried about, you know, what's going
2: on up above. I'm just focusing on my job here. Maybe that helps. Well, it, it's a, it's just opportunity, right? A lot of times, I you don't have a choice in the contract you're offered at times, yeah. right? And, and so you look for a good fit. But I've had those scenarios before where it's like, man, I as much as I wish I was up – I had this in the ECHL early in my career. I was like, my third-year pro, I was like, I'm not going to go up to the American Hockey League if I, unless I know I'm going to play. Because you can make a choice, right? If you're yeah. on – like you could take these things called PTOs, professional triad agree, agreements. And I said, I'm not going unless I'm going to play. And Ryan McGill, assistant coach of the Vegas Golden Knights, actually wanted to call me up to the Omaha Sarban Knights – And I said, am I going to play? No, I'm not coming. And Ryan (laughs) McGill wasn't happy with me. (laughs) So I turned him down. And I said, I'm just going to play in Vegas, my third year pro. Well, guess what? I ended up getting an American League one way in Portland, Maine, much like Ryan Murphy. Mm -hmm. And I played there the entire season. And that established my American League identity, which turned into a year later getting a chance in the NHL and rolling that. So in some ways, yeah, absolutely. When you're in a situation where, hey, I'm going to be rooted, I can just focus on my task at hand, it can be powerful for a player.
1: Picking the right spots for you. And for anyone in our audience who doesn't know what an Exarbin is, uh, the, it's Nebraska backwards. The, it's an the anagram. O- the Omaha... I, I can never say it unless I'm reading it. The a- o- Omaha Sarben Knights. Knights. That's n- now so, defunct. Yeah. you know,
2: flip that backwards, toss a couple of hyphens in there, it had a couple dashes, a- and you got it. It, it. I think it was some weird sponsorship agreement. Right. I can't remember. <laughs> that's Short-lived team, we'll put it that, yeah, that way. That's a hat and a t-shirt. If you can find it, you'll want it. Yeah. I killed a uh, lot of franchises. Oh. I have the jersey. <laughs> <laughs>
1: a closet's a graveyard
2: it is but- <laughs> it is it's got a lot of <laughs> they all deserve, like, a tribute. Hey, this team's gone, tribute. Peoria, Lowell, Albany, uh, Vegas, Omaha, man, just got out the list. Killed them all.
1: The Mike McKenna <laughs> Museum charges $10 for entry. Well, Mike McKenna, Brian McCormick here with you, nighttime at noon. We've talked about the Silver Knights and, uh, you know, putting a bow on their very successful season. Now to look at the NHL playoff picture as a whole. Uh, the Montreal Canadiens and Winnipeg Jets had their – uh, series opener last night. Montreal gets on the board first with a 5-3 win. We're not talking about that so much today as we are the hit in the final minute of uh, Mark Shifley on Jake Evans, which, first of all, most important, it goes without saying, but we'll say it, uh, the hope is that Jake Evans is okay. We, yeah. we heard he has a concussion that's been announced. I, I haven't heard much more on him, but but hopefully that he's as okay hit. as he can be in that scenario. Um Terrifying hit, and I'll let you have the first thought, Mike, because I, personally I don't, I don't think we're necessarily going to agree on this, but I, I think it deserves a bit more of a
2: nuanced conversation than what I'm seeing, but but please lead. I hated it. I hated the hit. And, and I, I don't think Mark Scheifele is a dirty player, and I think he surprised himself. I think his reaction afterwards, seeing how surprised he was, was like almost a, oh, man, what did I just do? I can't believe that happened from the hit I just laid mm-hmm. because he, he had so much speed built up from the other end and a lot of times in a player's mind, you're like, okay, well, I was coasting from like the top of the circles. Well, you're still going 20 miles an hour, and you're hitting a player going the other direction. It's so rare in hockey that you get two players colliding that are going opposites, like freight trains coming yeah. together. And what I don't like that I've seen out there is there's been some victim shaming here that Evans should have had his head up. Okay, it's a four three game, and he's going to score an empty net goal and a wrap around. He's icing this game for his team. Okay, he puts himself in a vulnerable position. He's trying to score a goal. He's going around the net. And when you go around the net, you're scoring. You're trying to do that. It's the onus of the player making the hit to not crush somebody in a vulnerable position. Is it telling you? 100% it is, and it's a definition of charging. Strides are out the window. It's hitting somebody in a place where you're going to potentially hurt them. And you see him come around the net like that. You can't victim shame in this scenario. Uh, And I feel like that this is one of those where it's like, just why? This puck's going to go in the net, okay? Shifley can see him coming. There's frustration in Shifley from the way this series is played out, from the way the game's played out. He goes to bury him. Okay, He's hitting him to crush him. He's not hitting him to knock the puck off of his stick because he thinks he's going to prevent a goal. There's different ways to approach this as a player, and as a human being, you need to respect your opponent more. Brian, Rebuttal, you have if I may.
1: <laughs> I, I agree with you in the sense that I don't think anybody wants to see anyone get hurt. And for Mark Scheifele's reaction in his, uh, in his eyes, absolutely shock. I thought shock on two. A, what I did, did that. Mm-hmm. And B, why is everyone so upset at me? I just threw a hit through the chest. So let me just, if I may, we're, we're, we're going to be lawyers here. If I'm Mark Shifley's lawyer, he glides, arms are down. I thought principal contact through the chest. It's certainly one of those ones that we slow down to freeze frames. He catch a little chin fine, but he certainly not launching it ahead. Right. And he has every right to make a hit on a play until the whistle sounds. You might say it's unnecessary. There's an argument to be made for that. For me, that onus isn't on Mark Shifley. He's allowed to stop a goal. The one criteria I see out there that I think, and it's in writing, so it's it's in the rule book, you can use it, but I just find it to be a ridiculous criteria, is distance traveled. He got there f- from his team, he got there first. I don't care if he came 200 feet to do it, he has every right to stop a goal no matter where he started on the ice. He can't wormhole himself 50 feet up ice to start. It's but
2: anybody who's played the game is going to tell you that he wasn't providing a goal there. And I've talked to a few people right? who have said, "Hey, you he could have made a play on the puck. He could have to me I'm just,
1: I don't know that he I don't know it's his responsibility non-player so my opinion counts less, I admit that freely. It's his responsibility to hit the guy with his arms down and not contact the head. Everything else is is up for grabs to me. So, and, and 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 I don't mean this in a victim-shaming way because again, I hope Jake Evans is okay and he's trying to score a goal. I get that. Part of my concern here is I wonder if we're emphasizing the wrong message in that we're telling players to be responsible and to not target the head. But we see enough of these instances. Yes, there are Tom Wilson and Radko goudis instances and so on where we see repeat offenders and we're not surprised. There have been enough where there have been guys that we are shocked are on the other end of these colossal hits. And it's because when they're making the play, they see the puck. They're trying to stop a play. They're not reading the rule book as they go. And I do feel... That we perhaps don't have enough players with a mindset of, hey, if you're playing in traffic, there are going to be cars, and that doesn't necessarily automatically apply to last night, but just in general, I feel like there's,
2: I feel like there are a lot of players that aren't wary of the fact that they're in they're in danger. When you cut around the net to score a goal, that's what you're focused on. You're not worried about getting lasered, and that's where. But does he like, have a right Evans to score a goal? Di- Yeah, you, 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 that's the point of hockey. Right,
1: he has the right to, so to score. Let's, and
2: Sharples has the right to stop him. Let me let me please. Tell you, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. That hit was to hit him as hard as he could. It wasn't to prevent a goal. Agreed. And I'm telling you, like, don't, talking to players that I know very close to this, the overwhelming response is just, why? Why make that hit? You know better to make that. He got caught up in the moment of it. He got caught up in the moment of the game, the emotion. Shifley, I'm talking about yeah. And Evans's heads, Evans head's down, and he's cutting. Like, he's so vulnerable when you cut the net like that. You're not going to be upright. You're not going to be in a position to take a hit. And again, the onus is on the player making the impact to, to, to in some ways, keep that other person from getting crushed. And, and I'm... It, the fact that it's an instant suspension shows that i was people agree with that mm-hmm. okay and the distance travel thing is real he came from the far end and was flying but that's where and, he started he can he can't start closer no i get that <laughs> but like his intent to hit was the whole yeah. way it was intending to hit and I, I just i have a hard time with it and again like i say Shifley has never been a dirty player to me i think he surprised himself and i bet you he feels as bad as anybody today agreed. anybody agreed but Evans, I'm telling you, like, concussions like that change the course of lives and careers. Okay? That's why we're trying to keep that out of the game. Whether we call that clean or anything else, that may affect him. It's a, it was a poor guy's birthday, right. too. Uh, uh, like oh man like not that Shifley knows that or anything but you're just like come on and and,
1: and that's where I say more nuanced conversation we're trying to keep collisions like that out of the game for everyone's safety but maybe the way we're going about isn't the right way when the people we don't expect to be on the business end of those collisions are the ones throwing them and for that I say again it's the point shouldn't be to to blow up Jake Evans
2: having said that there's a lot of guys in the Hall of Fame that that was their career yeah and was a different era too there's a lot of guys that yeah. have had a lot of problems in life because of hockey after Absolutely. Afterwards. Paul Korea, Eric Lindros, so. absolutely.
1: And that's why I say I don't say we celebrate the Mark Scheifele no. hit. And and I'll say this. If Mark Scheifele, let's say he comes back in game four, argument's sake, if Montreal wants to chase him around for the next week, that is their right, and yeah. that's I, I won't begrudge that. But I do wonder, again, there are certain hits, flying elbows, Matt Cook type things, sure. that we're all on the same side instantly. I slow that down frame by frame, and aside from just telling Mark, hey, you didn't have to hit him there. Yeah. I, I don't know how else to change what he did except just ask him to, to let up. And there aren't well, many coaches I, who are going to say that. And we agree with you. I yeah. agree.
2: We agree on that aspect. You know, I, I do. I, I think that's really what it comes down to is just you didn't need to do that. And I think that's what the player safety department's going to look at. Like, was this – essentially, was this necessary here? Yeah. Um, there's different ways to do it. I love physical hockey. I love hits. I, I love the fact that you still sit in the box for five minutes if you get mad enough at somebody and drop the <laughs> gloves. Okay? I love that about our game. Yeah but we got to protect ourselves as well. Yeah. And that's I've seen too many friends go through bad problems because of hockey, because of hits like that. Good talk. Uh, I'm sure when I check social media, most people are not going to agree
1: with me, and that is why we have a professional hockey player on the podium. Uh, but
2: <laughs> I'm sure, un- unfortunately. But that's why we're talking.
1: Mike, unfortunately. Because not
2: everybody has the same opinions. And right? I'm, sure and it's, that's
1: fine. I'm sure it's not the last opportunity we're going to have to have this conversation, unfortunately, as oh. well. But uh, luckily, we're going to wrap up our show on the other side of the break because we do have game three on the way, and we have two teams that uh, – I've seen a lot of each other this year and gave us a very entertaining game, too, so there's more on the way. We'll be right back. Brian McCormick, Mike McKenna here with you on Nighttime at Noon on Fox Sports Las Vegas. We're back to Nighttime at Noon on your home for the Vegas Golden Knights, Fox Sports Las Vegas. Back on Nighttime at Noon, Brian McCormick, Mike McKenna here with you wrapping things up on a Thursday afternoon, Uh, quick spin around the uh, the out of town scoreboard, if you will, let you know where the uh, playoff series are at. Of course, Colorado and VGK are at two nothing. It's a one nothing series lead for the Canadians over the Winnipeg Jets after their win last night uh, at Bell MTS Place. Other series both in action tonight. Uh, New York Islanders and Boston Bruins nodded at one, heading back to the island. Carolina and Tampa Bay Lightning have a two nothing lead. Game two a little hairier for Tampa Bay at the end, Mm -hmm. Uh, and for Boston, New York
2: Islanders, Mike, that's that's a slugfest. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I it's funny because I kind of had a little bit of a hunch that I thought the Islanders were just going to roll Boston, and that's wrong. It was wrong. (laughs) I just I thought the I'm just so impressed with the Islanders and how they play as a team, and and Boston to me kind of had. Uh, maybe I underestimated how much steam they picked up towards the end of the season. I think because mm-hmm. um, that's a man. That's a great series. Like we're at the point now where it's it's pretty amazing hockey to watch. It's also a different board. Taylor
1: Hall in Boston than what we saw. Yeah, earlier Tad. In there.
2: Yeah, he's got some supporting cast. He looks energized again, and uh, definitely different than what we saw in Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: speaking of Buffalo, the draft lottery was last mm-hmm. night. Seattle cracking get pick number two. Pick number one does go uh, to the Buffalo Sabers. I wonder, Mike, because I talked with a couple of my buddies. Just you know, uh, just perusing the uh, the draft list. Buffalo has a lot to do, and they've had their share of high picks that have not necessarily panned out. I would imagine as when you're trying to sell to a fan base a revitalization that you want to stick and pick at one, but is there an
2: argument for them to move down? No, 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 no. That's overthinking. Just, That's overhandling you, the wood. You can't do that. Can you imagine having the number one pick in Buffalo and not taking it? Those fans, like... They've been tortured there. And that's what I wonder. Like, you just got to go the for it. The consensus
1: pick, for whatever that means in this year where half of junior hockey didn't play, yeah. but the consensus pick right now looks like it's Michigan's Owen power. If you're, or you already have Rasmus Dalene having two stud D for the next ten years, assuming Dalene develops properly, is appealing. Um, but do they have more needs? I, I don't know. It, it, I didn't dismiss it out of hand. At first it sounded ridiculous, and then I thought to myself, eh, there's always it's the a hard argument. sell it's you, a hard sell to
2: the fan base you take the best player available yeah. you know if you have a surplus and you trade some folks yeah. when, after the fact right like and it is a little bit of a longer play yeah. okay defensemen take a bit more time but yeah you, you just got to take number one there you I can't fathom that city not burning if they don't take number one <laughs> you know what when you win the lottery you never give away the ticket that's right <laughs> so uh we've got some time to have that <laughs> argument for you the don't let it go through those <laughs> you don't let it go through the laundry in your jeans you know what i mean well <laughs> Ooh, this was old worth three point five mil. I, maybe I should turn that in again. Good, good <laughs> problems to have. Yeah. Well, uh, I've the, never had that problem, uh, <laughs> Brian. I don't know about you, but yeah. no.
1: <laughs> you know, for uh, we, we've got Game Three coming up tomorrow night. We've talked about it a bit, but but Mike, this is going to be a night for uh, the Golden Knights to bring their hard hats and, and draw back into this series, and also for eighteen thousand plus fans to wear their hard hats as well.
2: Yeah. You just look at what they've done on home ice, and and especially I think they can draw on that experience at Game Seven. Yeah. That was a must-win obviously. And it was a game that they had to bring their best and they just looked so determined. Yeah. Like from the drop of the puck the, the Golden Knights in that game, you could tell they wouldn't be denied. Okay? And that's what they need to bring in game 3, that same swag, that same underdog mentality even now. They're down to nothing in the series, right? they mm-hmm. They've got destiny ahead of them. The pressure's actually off. Just go out and play. Be carefree. Don't be afraid to make a mistake. And that's where they're going to draw their inspiration. Now, would you say again? Game two went very well. Uh, from it
1: periods well. Two and three, it went well. Do you try not. to do you try to replicate that to the best of your ability? Because again, the difference is, hey, shoot six inches to the right in the game, yeah. and they and they win. Can can you go with that mindset? Like, hey, let's try to replicate the 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 two thirds of game two. Is that but, good enough?
2: Listen, I think it, I think in game two, if they stay out of the box and win the game. I just, I, those four penalties in the first crushed them, yeah. okay? And, and I know it's, oh, we're, it's only 2-1 after the first. Well, you can't be down 2-1 to Colorado. Yeah. You just can't, okay? And you can't be down to anybody 2-1 in playoffs after the first period. They need to be up, at the minimum even. And, and they can't rely on that great second period. They need full 60 if they can. You're never going to get perfect, but you've got to be as close to it, and they need that determination from the first puck drop. Vegas Golden Knights and Colorado Avalanche
1: have given us a lot of entertainment so far, and there's more to come. The puck drops tomorrow at 7 p.m., uh, so be tuned in for that. Game three from T-Mobile Arena, which will be at 100% capacity for the first time Woo! this year. Mike, great afternoon. Appreciate it, bud. Thanks good for hanging times.
2: in. Lots of fun. Enjoyed it.
1: And uh, Angelo, thank you for tuning in and making us sound pretty, and uh, good luck because we're losing you soon, aren't we? You can talk. Yes. Hey! Hey! <laughs> He <laughs> won't believe me. He's really here. <laughs> Angelo, thank you. George Lopez, thank you as well. And thank you all for listening. Tune in tomorrow afternoon. Stormy Tony and Gary Lawless will have the reins for nighttime at noon here on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Stay tuned for the Doug Gottlieb Show.